Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to breakfast in the class. Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to breakfast in the class. Breakfast in the class today is dedicated in loving memory of David Barmoha, Lelun Ishmat David Ben Saada from his wife Sylvia, children Yigal, Asher, Ron, Yossi, Nir, and Shiran and family, and as well dedicated in honor of our dear Elisheva, who introduced us all to Rabbi Fari's classes. We are forever grateful for that. And the joy and love you bring to our family every single day. Love your sisters and the rest of the Schiller clan. Happy birthday, Elisheva Mabruk. The week of Kobru is sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. And as well, sponsored uh, in the honor of the wedding of my very dear daughter, Shoshana, to Natanel uh, today. We're looking forward to seeing you uh, to come say Mazal Tov, to join us and celebrate in the Simcha of this uh, epic uh, occasion. Okay, so Rabotai, uh, we have a, a slightly busy day uh, because today is the day uh, of the wedding. So we have uh, lots of things to get done. So today we're going to keep it a little bit shorter, Be'ezrat Hashem, but at the same time, we want to keep it, uh, we want to keep it meaningful. So I want to, I want to bring out uh, a, a powerful a concept from the Pesukim uh, that we have here today. The Pesuk tells us about the time when uh, in Parashat Shemini, where the Jewish people inaugurated the temple, and everything, is, everything had been done, the Korbanot had been brought, they go on the Mizbeach, Aaron, uh, you know, blesses the Jewish people, it's magnificent, everything is going according to plan, and then tragedy strikes. Nadav and Aviu, they come and they bring a Korban that's actually not supposed to be brought, they decide on their own to bring a, a korban. The children of Aaron, Nadav and Aviu brought each one their own pan uh, for, the, for the ketoret and they brought in front of God a foreign fire otam. Uh, that, had, that, he, that God had never commanded. What happened, unfortunately? A fire comes out from in front of God. And they become consumed, and they, and they pass and they die in front of God. This is what God said when He said, I will become sanctified by those that are closest to me, Aaron was silent. My friends, this is a very powerful conversation here. Aaron suffers an unspeakable loss. The loss of his two children, of two great Tamidei Chachamim, of two great Tzadikim. And I'm reminded uh, of a few occasions where we spoke about the sons of Aaron uh, passing away where there were tragedies that happened in Am Yisrael in the week uh, of, of uh, the death of Nadav and Aviyu. In fact, on the high holidays, there's even a very special tefillah uh, that we say, a very moving prayer about how uh, Nadav and Aviyu passed away. You know, the reason why we pray so many years later in the Beit Knesset about this story, about the passing of Nadav and Aviyu, is because, as the Gemara tells us, Mitat tzadikim, the death of the righteous people, when a, a person who is a tzaddik, they pass before their time, 
Tzbechaper, it brings kapara for the whole generation. And the Gemara says with one condition. The condition, what's the condition? That if a Sadiq passes, it brings kapara on the generation. The condition is that the person is morid dimaot, that they cry, that they shed tears, that they are upset, that they are broken hearted over the loss of the Tzadik. If the person is not upset at all over the loss of the Tzadik, then there's no kapara. Now the question is, in what world are, the, are these two people connected? You want to tell me that the Sadiq passed away and the whole generation gets kapara? What's the connection? And my friends, one of the answers that's brought down in the Chachamim is that actually, yes, when a person who's a Sadiq passes away, it fills everybody else with a little bit of thought of teshuvah. They think if even to such a person something like this could happen, how much more so I have to be careful and I should pay attention and ensure that I fix my ways that nothing bar minnan should happen to me. So the thoughts of teshuvah that are generated in everyone's mind, those in and of themselves are capable of bringing teshuvah. However, my friends, I want to share something else as well in the, uh, in the aftermath of this story of Nadav and Aviu, in the aftermath of the passing of Rav Chaim Kanievsky, Chaim Kanievsky, Zechet Tzadik Vekadosh Levracha. The Pasuk over here adds one other piece. It says that Moshe said to Aaron, Bekrovai Akadesh, I will become sanctified through those that are closest to me. To me. What does this mean? Rashi says on the spot, what this, this idea Bekrovai Akadesh, what the concept is. He says as follows, Hu Asher Diber, this is what God meant. Hechan Diber, Rashi says, where did he speak? God says, I will become known, I will meet the Jewish people in, that, in this holy place. Right? And I will become sanctified by in my honor. Don't read rather by those who are my the ones that are most honored to me. Amalo Moshe Aaron. Moshe said to Aaron in his time of excruciating pain, he said to him, Aaron Achi, Aaron my brother, Yodea Haiti, I knew that the, the sanctification of God's new resting place in this world would be by the ones that were closest and most well known to God. And I thought it was going to be or be, either me, or Bach, or you. Achshav ani, now I see, shehem gidolim mimeni umimcha, that they are greater even than me and than you. If God said that the price of coming uh, to the Beit HaMikdash is going to be that Bechkrovaya Kadesh, that God is going to be sanctified through the loss of one of the holiest, of one of the most connected to God, Right? If that's going to be the case. So I thought it was going to be me or you. But if it was Nadav and Aviyu, I see that they are greater both than me and than you. And Mo, the response to Moshe's uh, uh, consolation is Vaidom Aharon. My friends, I want to take this apart for one second with you today. Because I think what is here is an absolute treasure. 
Why? Why did God say Bikrovaya Kadesh? Why? Because God was coming to to dwell in the Mishkan. Did someone important need to? Why? Why did this have to happen? To whomever it would happen to? Nadav, Aviu, Moshe, Aaron. And the answer is that there is a price that we pay when God comes close to us. And the price that we pay can be contained in a very famous phrase. Familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. You meet a girl for the first time and you think this girl is a princess, she's a queen. I, I, want, I, want, I want to marry her. You whine, you dine, you open doors, right? You're doing everything to show this woman how special she is to you, how much she loves you. The care that you take of this child is unbelievable. They hand you a baby for the first time. You're holding it like this. Support the head. Holding the head, right? You go from support the head 10 years later, smack upside the head, you know? <laughs> 10 years later, the guy is not opening the door for his wife. He's not whining and dining. If he's whining and dining, he's giving her a wine, a bit, comes in a box. You understand? It's, it's, things deteriorate. And why do they deteriorate? Because they are too familiar. Okay? Boreo Olam in his great wisdom understood that the process of nida would take a person's wife away from him and then return it to him. Back and forth. Back and forth through the process of family purity. And that is there and is designed so that a person cannot become too familiar. Because when something is familiar, it gets degraded in your eyes. It's regular. It's common. It's taken for granted. God coming to the Mishkan and dwelling amongst the Jews and being a fixed presence amongst them came with a tremendous disaster, a tremendous problem. When God came down on Mount Sinai, they saw God and they ate and they drank, says the Pasuk. That's what you're doing in this moment. They were so comfortable that when God's presence is there, you're grabbing some fire poppers, you know, you're having a bite of a burger. That's a disaster. And that automatically brings punishment. So what God explained is, the situation is such in this moment that I need to come dwell amongst the Jewish people. And if that is the case, the reason why I need to dwell in the temple, why did God need to come to the temple in the first place? Our rabbis explain that before that, God did not need to reside in the temple. God was with the Jews it, it, without having a structure. It was only the aftermath of the golden calf that required a place, a fixed place for God to be with them. Number one, so that they would know always where God was, right? So it wouldn't be, oh, where's Hashem? We don't see Him. We don't understand. We, we've lost the intermediary. They needed HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence to be there. They also needed it to be, in some ways, ensconced in something physical. So the Mishkan is not the ideal scenario. It's less than ideal. If the Jewish people had created a scenario where this is what they needed God to be, and God had promised them in Egypt, I will be that which I need to be for you. So when we force God's position sometimes, other things fall. When we force HaKadosh Baruch Hu into a, into a position that is not the ideal scenario, 
something else falls apart because the perfect plan didn't include this. The plan that you forced to come to fruition, now it pushes something else out. It's like if a person takes a puzzle piece that doesn't fit in the middle of the puzzle, but they've lost their patience. So what do they do? They take the thing and they start pushing the puzzle piece in. As you push it into a place where it doesn't fit, what happens to the other pieces? They pop out. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm going to meet you in this place. I'm going to be connected with you there. I'm going to be present all the time. People can drop by and give me a korban every morning if they want. But that familiarity, it needs to be uh, reinforced, buttressed with a seriousness, almost with a severity, a punishment of somebody doing something inappropriate and then getting punished for not offering the proper respect, which will make people remember the proper respect. Bikrovai Akadesh. Moshe says to Aaron, I thought that was going to be me. I thought that was going to be you, but it turned out it was neither of us. The holiest, the closest to God was Nadav and Avihu. And therefore, they took, they bit the bullet for all of us and they bring tremendous kapara. My friends, I want to add that this to Aaron was the biggest comfort. Because you know, when a person thinks of the tragedy of somebody passing, really, what is the tragedy? If someone passes away and they're very, very old, and they built a family, and they have children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, they had a successful life, they built a business, their name's on the wall, not just because as a sponsorship, but as a pillar of the community, they, they've done great things with their life. You know, at that stage, people are not crying so hard at the funeral. The person lived the most amazing, most beautiful, most blessed life. It's not such a tragedy. The biggest tragedy, my friends, is when a person passes away, it's very young. And the reason why that's such a tragedy is not just because it's sadder, but it's because the, that person's death stopped them from achieving things in this world. They never had a chance to get married or to become study Gemara or to go on and do great things. Their life was snuffed out too early, too soon. So we're mourning the lost opportunities and the lost chances that the person could have, would have, and we hold, should have had. God, sorry, Moshe says to Aharon, Bikrovai Akadesh, you and I, we're spiritual beings. If God took them instead of us, what mourning is there? They could not have gone higher. They're t- top of the all-time scoring list. There's no one better. And if there's no one better, then Aaron recognizes that they've achieved that highest level. And therefore, for him, on his level, the way he saw the world through a spiritual lens, he was comforted to the point of Vayidom Aaron. I find this understanding so powerful that there are sometimes things, and it's an interesting thing because all the time when you go to a house of a shiva, so people are trying to say the right thing. 99 times out of 100, they say the wrong thing. Nine times out of 100, they say the wrong thing. But every once in a while, someone says the right thing. 2% Sam is telling us. Now you remember, 
A lot of people, they, you can tell that they all mean well. But there's something that someone says that changes your perspective, that makes you think about it differently, and it brings nechama. My friends, that is our power sometimes to help someone see even the most difficult life circumstances in the world in a, in a way, in a lens, that actually it saves them pain, suffering, sorrow. It helps that you didn't change the situation at all. But you communicated. Look, Aaron, the only thing to cry about is lost opportunities. And if God took them instead of us, they, they, they got it all. They, got the, they won the jackpot. My friends, to me, this story says two things. Number one, um, that the proper perspective can oftentimes bring a person from uh, very great deep sadness to joy, to happiness, or at the very least, to, uh, to comfort. And therefore, in certain scenarios, people spend all their time trying to change unchangeable scenarios, when the only thing they should really be changing is their mind, changing their perspective. Think about that for one minute. There's time, you can't wind back the clock, so what can you change? You can't change history, so what can you change? You can change the future. It is the irony of ironies that people who try to spend their whole life changing the past, not only do they suffer with a bitter and difficult past, they doom themselves to a difficult and bitter future. Vayidom Aharon, he hears what Moshe has to say. He internalizes it and it brings him the comfort and the ability and the strength to be able uh, uh, to not fall apart. My friends, um, that is the first aspect, I think, that we learn from the story. But there is one further aspect as well, and that is this aspect of ensuring that we do not become familiar. You know, you go to Beit Knesset every day, in the beginning, you come only on Yom Kippur, you walk into the shul, you feel like this. You feel uncomfortable, you know, you don't know how to stand, you don't know when to sit, you're not sure which way to hold the book, you can't even read Hebrew, you're standing up, you feel so self-conscious. You're sitting there with uh, what's called Al-Ta'arat kodesh But a person starts coming to shul more, and then they know how to pray. And then they know how to pray by heart. And then they're coming every day, and they're just relaxing in the Be'er Knesset. At that point, that familiarity is not, is not okay. It's not your living room. So it's, this is not, you should, it's true, you should feel that this is your spiritual home, but not like, not your recliner. I remember someone, I walked into the shul one time, I see a guy stretched out sleeping on the bench. Anyway, I walk in, and he quickly jumps out, up off the bench, and he says to me, he goes, oh Rabbi, I'm so sorry, I didn't know you were in here. I said, you should not be apologizing to me because you didn't know I was in here. You should be apologizing to him because it seems like you don't know that he's in here. Shiviti Hashem lenegdi tamid. Those are the words that are engraved above the Aron Kodesh. I place God in front of me always. This is not a place. Now, this a person, sometimes they're homeless. That, that wasn't the case. The guy was tired. Instead of putting his head down, 
on the table downstairs instead of going home for a nap. He thought he was going to take a power nap in the Beit Knesset. That's, that's just not on. Now, that kind of a thing only happens with familiarity. You get too comfortable. The guy who goes up to the Sefer Torah and he doesn't know the Berachah properly. You see, he's shaking. You know? Baruch Atah. Which one, Rabbi? Halfway through the Berachah. This one or this one? Just broke the Berachah, right? Let's start again over here. The guy is so nervous, so embarrassed. And the funny thing is, why is he embarrassed? He's embarrassed, he's not gonna, he's not gonna look good. He's embarrassed, he's gonna make a mistake. The embarrassed part, you know, you hope a person's not embarrassed. But the trepidation that a person feels when they're approaching the holiest object left in our world. We don't have the Luchot, the Aron Kodesh of, uh, of the Aron Ha'edut in the Beit HaMikdash. We don't have a Mizbeach. We don't have a temple. The holiest thing we have in the Jewish religion is the Sefer Torah. And you're going to stand in front of a document that changed the face of the earth. There's something to be said of approaching with that trepidation. You know, we don't touch even the letters of the scroll with our, with our fingers. We use a talit. All of those things, that uh, approach allows a person to maintain the way that they recognize the separation between church and state, okay? Between uh, the holiest things and the mundane. But this is true, my friends, of the Beit Knesset. It's true of God. It's true of your wife. It's true of your children. Never become overly familiar to the point where you stop respecting and remembering how valuable they are. In such a case, if you do, if you work, if you uh, put an effort to keep it fresh and to keep it new all the time, then you'll never stop giving and you'll never stop uh, treating it the right way. Baruch Adonai Amen.